Hey, he's Jake, and I'm Matt. And welcome to Pat's Chat, the UK's best New England Patriots podcast. Welcome to another episode of Pat's Chat with Jake and Matt. Well, less of Jake and more of Matt, because it's just me. Um, it's been a, a decent week or so. Um, I know you got an episode out on Saturday morning or Friday night, depending on... Or Saturday night, depending on your time zone that you're listening to the pod. Um, apologies that the episodes are a bit all over the place in terms of release schedule at the moment. We are coming towards the season and they will continue to be a bit haphazard unfortunately as we get guests on and get these things edited recorded etc and then out to you guys as quickly as possible although this episode hasn't gone out as quick as i would have liked um basically because we want to get as many people listening to this person as possible if you've read the title you'll know exactly who it is if you're still not sure who it is um, it's all in the intro and yeah, I'm not going to mess around and chat too much. So let's get to it with this episode's guest. So guys, I'm joined by a very, very special guest this time. Um, I'm so delighted for him to be on the show. Um, he's a podcaster himself. He's a blogger. He's the voice of the New England Patriots. Uh, you can hear him alongside the former Patriots quarterback, Scott Zolak, on 98.5 the Sports Hub and on the Patriots Radio Network for calling the games and with Scott alongside him doing the, the colour commentary. And, um, I'm delighted that he's going to be one of our first guests on the, the new season of the podcast. Of course, I'm talking about Bob Sosie. How's it going, Bob? It's going well, Matthew. It's good to be with you today. You know, thank you very much, as I say. Thanks for sparing the time um, to come on and um, chat a little bit of Patriots with myself. Well, I'm, I'm excited about this. I believe this is my eighth season calling Patriots games. I, I'm sure of that, but mm-hmm. I believe that this is my first transatlantic conversation, at least oh, in wow. podcast form. So this is, this is a, a maiden voyage for me across the pond. Oh, wow. I'm, I'll put uh, the northern tip of Scotland, so it's good to be with you. Wow, well, I'm I'm very very privileged to hear that. Then that's a, that comes a, comes a bit of a surprise, and uh, but you know, going your actual um, just a, a wee intro, a little introduction to yourself. Some people want to be firemen, you know, they want to be pilots or NFL football players and such. Like, was being in the sports broadcasting industry always something that you looked um, forward to doing as a career when you were a little boy? Absolutely. I wanted to be a professional athlete. I wanted to be a baseball player, first and foremost. Okay. Baseball, America's pastime, as it's been known here for my entire lifetime, uh, was always my favorite sport as a kid and the best sport that I could play. I was short and a little bit on the chunky side and, and not gifted with a lot of athleticism. So sports like basketball and football were out of the question for me, but baseball was my favorite sport as a kid, and I played it pretty well. And my, my first dream was to be a baseball player. And like other kids, there were times when I wanted to be a fireman and a policeman 
you know, perhaps a fireman, Sam, uh, or a police, policeman, <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, ha- entertained, uh, you know, the, the, the typical uh, weekly change of heart that every kid does. Fireman one week, policeman the next, a doctor the following week. But always during that period, from the time I, I was three years old until today, I was a sports fan. And I watched sports and I listened to sports and I sat in, in my room in our house in, in the basement of my parents' house and I pretended that I was talking about sports uh, on, on the air, on television, on the radio. And it really was uh, something that I, I, I started to seriously consider as early as nine, ten years old. I was playing Little League Baseball in my hometown in the middle of New York State in the Finger Lakes region of New York State. It's in a place called Auburn, New York. And growing up, I would play baseball, but also I would announce baseball too at the same time as this kid, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, who was given an opportunity in my hometown by the people that ran the local sports league to save the names of the other players in a microphone when I wasn't playing in games. Mm. And that really started to fuel the dream, and I pursued that passion uh, through college in Ohio at the University of Dayton here in the States, and then broadcast professional baseball and college basketball and college football for a long time uh, before my wife and I moved to the New England region and uh, the Boston area specifically. And I was fortunate enough, uh, after a number of years of broadcasting for the United States Naval Academy football team, I did 16 seasons of Navy football calling college football play-by-play, including a game, by the way, uh, in uh, Dublin. Um, one of my final Navy broadcasts was uh, Navy mm-hmm. versus Notre Dame in Dublin, Ireland at Viva Stadium. And, uh, you know, I had that great opportunity. And, but at the same time, I always aspired to broadcast at the highest level of our profession. And so I moved to New England with my wife. I knocked on a lot of doors. I asked uh, for uh, an audience with the people that ran the various sports broadcasting stations here locally, and, and I got one. And fortunately for me, I impressed that person enough uh, to be hired as the Patriots broadcaster when my predecessor, Gil Santos, who called 36 seasons of Patriots games, uh, when he retired in 2012, uh, I was considered a candidate, and luckily for me, I interviewed well, and they were happy with my work. And I landed the job. And as I said, uh, this is my eighth season calling play-by-play on the radio. Well, it's your eighth season and hope you um, do as many as Gail or many more beyond him as well, if it's, uh, if it's what you want to carry on doing, really. And, you know, talking of, of Gil himself, was it something that, you know, was it trepidation? Was it fear? Was it excitement? What was it when you were going into the hot seat um, taking on his role, essentially. All of the above. <laughs> there was a lot of trepidation. And, uh, you know, one of the things that helped me overcome that initially was, I wouldn't say a relationship with Gil Santos, but at least some connection to him. Years earlier, when I moved to the Boston area in 2008, I reached out to Gil and asked him to listen to some of my work calling Navy football. And I sent Gil a CD, 
back in the days of CDs, compact discs, for those who yeah. may not be aware. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I began my broadcasting career with audio cassettes and graduated to compact discs. And now, of course, every, everything is digital. But I sent a CD to Gil and asked him to listen to it and asked for his candid feedback. And he was very complimentary. He gave me some constructive uh, pieces of crit uh, gave me some pieces of constructive criticism, but overall was very complimentary. And so that helped to instill a lot of confidence in myself that I could broadcast at the NFL level. Here was one of the all-time greats in football broadcasting, a legend in New England, someone with the perfect voice for this sport, but also you know all the other tools that you need to be a great broadcaster and storyteller. And he thought that I could do it at the NFL level. So that made me believe that I could do it. And when the opportunity arose, I was lucky to reconnect with Gil and seek some more of his advice. And, you know, he told me, Matthew, Bob, just remember two things. One, there are going to be a lot of people that don't like the way you call the games because it's not the way I did it. But on the other hand, there will be a lot of people who will like the way you call the games because it's not the way I did it. So just remember that. Be yourself and have fun. And uh, words of wisdom uh, that I certainly seized upon. And uh, eventually, over the course of you know, however many days, weeks, uh, months it took to, in my role as the broadcaster, I think I earned some credibility with the audience it wasn't easy. I never thought it would be. I always feel like even today, when I walk into that broadcast booth, it's a proving ground for me. I have to establish myself with the audience. I've done my homework. I can accurately call what's happening on the field. I can cover all the details, the score, the time left on the clock, the down and the distance, who has the ball, trying to paint the picture. Uh, of, of what I'm seeing be the eyes for that listener who may not be watching the game on television or in the stadium while listening to the radio, but rather maybe in a car or maybe out in the yard doing some work in the autumn. And so I take that very seriously, that responsibility without trying to take myself too seriously. And I think that those two things have helped me at least gain enough acceptance here in New England to follow Gil and not be looked down upon uh, as uh, you know a, a poor man's imitation if you will because there's only one Gil Santos mm. and he will remain the Patriots voice the voice of the Patriots uh, at least as, as, as far as I can see down the road he's a Hall of Famer he's in the Patriots Hall of Fame and uh, he was a tremendous broadcaster and he was very kind to me as well. Yeah well you touched on something there that is very unique to what you do, I think, and, and certainly in my experience of listening and watching the game and whether it be NFL or soccer or baseball or, you know, other sports is especially over here in Britain, we have the TV broadcasting team and we have the radio broadcasting team. And I'm sure it's quite similar um, over in the States as well. But for you, as you say, you're describing for a radio audience as well as being you know featured on tv at times as well it's it's something that you know i guess brings a whole new dynamic to what you're actually doing really doesn't it it does because you know you have to look at it when you're calling radio play by play 
with the, with the, the thought in mind that you have to be, as I said, the eyes for that listener. You have to paint the picture for the other person who's on the other end of, of this conversation. I'm not talking to Scott per se. I'm talking to you if you're listening. I'm not talking to thousands or hundreds of thousands of listeners on the Patriots Radio Network or on satellite radio or on the internet. I'm talking to each of them individually. And so you have to establish this connection between yourself and that listener. And you do it in a variety of ways. Uh, Matthew, you do it certainly, as I said, by establishing a trust factor. When you walk into that booth and you start talking, that person wants to have uh, the the knowledge that, hey, that this guy I'm listening to, this woman I'm listening to, this is somebody I can trust. They've done their homework. They know what they're talking about. And then beyond that, uh, you want to, uh, as smoothly as possible, describe what you're seeing. And there's a great description of the difference between broadcasting on radio and broadcasting on television from one of the greatest sportscasters in, in the history of the medium in the United States, Vin Scully. Uh, Vin Scully is a longtime baseball announcer. He also used to call NFL football and, and, and some other sports here in the States, but is primarily known as a legendary baseball announcer. And he said, you know, when you're broadcasting on television, it's the director's medium. So you're just writing the captions for the pictures. Mm-hmm. When you're broadcasting on radio, it's a blank canvas. You have the palette and the brush, and you paint that picture for the listener. And in football, it's a little bit more difficult to, to, to get too creative because the, you know, my job is to follow the ball and, and set the formation for every play, say what, I, what I, I see is happening, and then get out of Scott's way, Scott Zolak's way, so that he can come in and, and, and tell you why what just happened did and analyze it and add some, some color and personality, uh, humor and passion and excitement as he always does. But I still try to, to blend some creativity with the, the storytelling, the description that I, that's my primary responsibility. Uh, you know, whether there are two receivers to the left or to the right, are there two tight ends? Are they lined up in the I formation in the backfield? Is the quarterback under center? Or is he in the shotgun? Are, are the Patriots playing with two safeties deep downfield? Or are they playing what we would call cover zero, where they're going to go after the, pa- the, the, the passer and they're just going to put their cornerbacks, their defensive backs, uh, you know, out on the proverbial island uh, with no safety help. So those are the <laughs> things you try to look for before the ball is snapped. But once the ball is snapped, I have to follow where that ball goes and try to describe it to the best of my ability what happens, but you really are seeing it not only for yourself, but for each and every listener who's tuning into the broadcast. Mm, definitely, for sure. And it's uh, one of my good friends, uh, late mothers, um, she, she would actually watch the television, but listen to the radio. It's something I always find a bit bizarre because there's, all, there's usually not that sort of, you know, it's not succinct really. But generally, she, she was a big crochet fan and, and cross-stitch and things. And so she would be more focused on what she was doing. So it was quite good for her to listen. And then if something happened, she could then look up. And it worked for her every every Saturday afternoon when the, the soccer was on. 
Um, that was always her thing that she did, and it was something that always stuck with me from when I was little. As uh, even now, as I describe it, you know, um, yeah. it's not for everyone, but I can see the the merits and the possible madness as to what some people might <laughs> describe it as. Well, I think a lot of people uh, in in their own markets they want to hear their home team announcers, right? Because the national broadcasters they try to present a very balanced depiction of, of the events and the storylines. And it's interesting when you hear the national broadcasters talk, they will say, well, they're criticized deeply by fans of both teams in a game. If you're calling the Patriots and the Jets on CBS, and I have friends who've done that, uh, they'll say, well, the Jets fans think you're pro-Patriots and the Patriots fans think you're pro-Jets. That's just, that's the existence of, the television announcer, because you're calling it down the middle. You have to be neutral. Mm-hmm. You get as excited for one team as the other. Well, when you're broadcasting for the local team on the local team's radio station, you get more excited for that local team. So when Scott and I are broadcasting for the Patriots, he's a former Patriot. He knows the organization inside and out. And he's going to get really excited when things go well for the Pats. And he's going to get really upset when things don't go so well, particularly against the Jets. And, you know, while I try to be uh, someone who, and I think Scott does too, we, we, we try to have credibility and, and, and not simply see things with our hearts all the time as opposed to our eyes. Yet at the same time, we're going to get more excited when things go well for the Patriots. We're the Patriots broadcasters. And so I think for New England fans, there's a comfort level. We also have a better idea because we're around the team all the time we have a better idea of what the real storylines are. Mm-hmm. The national broadcasters come in and sometimes, you know, they don't have the feel for that local team. They're just not around that team enough. With Scott and, and, and me, we were able to do that because, as I said, he's been in the organization as a player. He's worked in the organization in other capacities. And we both are around the team throughout the week, throughout the season, and, you know, are even closely tied to it during the offseason. Mm. And uh, on, you know, doing what you do and being involved in it every day and such like in the, the, the story behind all that, going to Dayton and growing up in Auburn and things, what, what sticks out to you as something that if our listeners want to get involved in sports broadcasting or, you know, whatever their passion might be, what would what would advice would you give? Is it the hard work or is it a bit of luck in it? Is it making up CDs or whatever Spotify playlists or whatever it is that kids do now um, to get that step and that foot in the door? What, what do you think uh, gets well, you to that position? Yeah, you know, I think a lot of people become consumed with the steps you have to take to land the next job or to climb the ladder, so to speak. And for me, what's always most important and what should always be most important, regardless of what your craft is, particularly in the arts, whether it's as an actor, a writer, a musician, or a broadcaster, someone who's a communicator, I always feel like, number one, your objective is to continually improve the art of what you do continually be better at the craft of broadcasting. And that involves practice, that involves self-critique, 
that involves soliciting advice and criticism, constructive criticism from others, including people that you respect, people who are where you would like to be in the industry. And so I, for a long time, reached out to broadcasters who were much further down the road in their careers than me, like I did with Gil Santos, and asked them, hey, I'd love to hear what you think. Please be honest. I want to get better at the craft. So I always think that's the most important thing. Sometimes in, in, in our business, particularly, I don't know how the politics of broadcast journalism or uh, you know, sports media are in your neck of the woods, but here there is a lot of politics. And often who you know uh, is more important than how well you do what you do in, in, in various roles. Uh, so that is important. It's important to network and to make contacts and, and to, to be someone who other people are aware of and, and think of before a job comes open. Uh, that, you know, when, I, when I got the Patriots job, I was on the radar because I had taken the steps and knocked on doors years earlier and presented samples of my work to the station. And then when Gil retired, they thought of me based on what they had heard a few years earlier. But again, I stress that you know, that's important. But what's most important, again, regardless of what you do, is to continually seek to improve. And that means is getting as much experience as possible. I don't think that there's any substitute for re repetition uh, in, in a field like broadcasting. Uh, just as you know, a musician has to practice the scales and notes on his instrument or her instrument daily, and often you have to repeat the same steps over and over and over again, uh, day after day. And you have to have that discipline to do that, to be good, if not great. And I think as a broadcaster, it's the same way. Call games, get as much experience as possible. In the age of internet, I don't know how it is in, 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 uh, in, in Scotland or other parts of, of the UK, but when, when you're broadcasting here in the States or when you're a college student, you know, there, are, there are internet streaming broadcasts of all the sports at the local colleges. There's other youth sports that kids get a chance to get experience calling. And, and so I think the internet has opened a lot of possibilities to get that kind of experience that didn't exist when I was going to college. And this is testament of it right here and right now, I guess, is, you know, it would have, I remember watching a documentary and uh, a guy from, um, Southern Scotland, he's a big wrestling fan, and he had to go to a, a phone booth and put in his money to find a number to call up a wrestler in the States and, you know, just to say hello sort of thing. But now it's Twitter, it's emails, it's whatever, whatever, you know, that, that's a lot more accessible now, isn't it? It is, you know, and, and podcasting is, is, a, is a true. Podcasting and blogging are two great avenues to get into sports media full-time that didn't exist not too long ago. And I know a lot of people that work in our marketplace who started out with their own blogs and then eventually developed readership and caught the eye and eventually the ear of decision makers with much, you know, with much greater resources of big media companies. And there's no better example of, of someone from New England who did that than Bill Simmons uh, who, of course, now oversees the ringer.com and for, for years was known uh, as the sports guy with ESPN and, and, and Ringland. 
well, I think Bill was somebody who just started blogging and, and kind of developed a following and, and really established his reputation here locally and became someone very successful on a national level. And there are many other examples of, of, of people like him in sports media here in the United States. I think, you know, what's really important to going back to your earlier question and, and, and it relates to podcasting or uh, to, to talking on air, uh, whether it's sports talk radio uh, whether it's being a, a disc jockey or a sports broadcaster calling play by play, you have to be yourself too. You have to have your, you have to bring your personality, your own values, your own style to each broadcast, but it has to be uniquely yours. I think a lot of people in this business try to imitate or adopt someone else's shtick, if you will, <laughs> but you have to be yourself. And I think that's most important. There are people that have tremendous senses of humor and they can be really funny and then there are those of us like myself who aren't so uh, aren't so uh, witty uh, so I, I tend to be a little bit more uh, vanilla if you will and straight down the middle when I call play by play but uh, I think that uh, regardless of you know, you, whatever your style is it has to be true to who you are it has to be true to your personality yeah I think you're right and uh, it's um, just when you were saying about imitating people I just flashed back to when I was a kid playing with my wrestling toys and I'm, I guess without knowing it, Vince McMahon was probably commentator at the time and you know it was sort of his voice that you were imitating or Grill Monsoon or, or uh, Jesse Ventura you know someone like that was who I was imitating then and as a, I, I used to remember playing um, soccer and you know there was the commentators from the telly that you were trying to imitate as you were like you know taking on the dog in the back garden or something like that. So, I mean, you, yeah, you, yeah. but then you do, you start to de develop your style and such like, I think, um, as time develops and you realise that, you know, to get somewhere you have to, you have to be yourself, as you say. I think it's a great piece of advice. Be yourself and, you know, that'll take you where um, you want to go. And um, going back, just going back to what you were saying um, earlier as well about your season and, and yourself and Scott here and amongst the team and all that sort of thing um, which is great um, over here there was um, Bundesliga footage for one of the sports stations and it ended up they were basically sitting like you or me with a screen in front of them and doing a commentary that was then relayed through technology onto the screen for the game that I was watching is that something you think that is possible with the NFL or because of the intricacies of men on the field, men off the field, as, uh, are there too many men on the field? Um, all these things, but, you know, as you were saying, safety's up, safety's back, double coverage, um, et cetera, et cetera. Is it something that you could do on a screen or is do you feel you have to be in the stadium? And also, do you think you will be in the stadium come September? Yeah, there is a, there is a real possibility that we will – not broadcast road games in particular this year. Hmm. That's been the, the mode of operation for uh, many of my colleagues, whether locally or nationally. Uh, the radio broadcasters for the Celtics, for example, they're not in Orlando, Florida, the, the, the Canadian cities of Toronto and Edmonton. They're in a makeshift studio in uh, Dorchester, part of Boston, doing it off monitors. announcers. Hmm they're calling all the games from their home parks. So the radio announcers for the team in Boston, for example, 
They're going to call the game when it's played in Boston, live, in person. They're there at Fenway Park. When the Red Sox go on the road to another city, well, they're still going to that same stadium. They go to Fenway Park in Boston, and they're broadcasting <laughs> that game with the Red Sox playing elsewhere uh, in their booths off the monitors. And the same thing, I think, is, is a real possibility uh, for Scott and me this coming football season. Uh, Scott and I, this coming football season, that we will be at Gillette Stadium or in a studio broadcasting all the road games that the Patriots play. That is very uh, that, that's something that I've never done before, calling games off a monitor. It's something that's not unprecedented, especially with soccer in particular, mm. or, or uh, your brand of football over there. Uh, yeah. You know, the, uh, <laughs> the voice of the New England Revolution, when I talked to him about it, Brad Feldman, who calls the, the, the games for MLS, uh, he, um, he uh, was, uh, was very experienced in that role of calling international soccer matches off television from a studio. And during the Olympics, a lot of sports are called that way where the announcers are not in the Olympic city, but are actually in, in studio for NBC broadcasting in Secaucus, New Jersey, or, or somewhere like that uh, during the games. And I think that it's, it's a matter of time for announcers to do it. We, we have German broadcasts from Gillette Stadium, former Patriot Sebastian Vollmer, uh, along with Marcus Kuhn, who was with the Patriots very briefly, but primarily with the New York Giants. They broadcast games in German. We have Spanish announcers who call games from the studio at Gillette Stadium uh, during the preseason. You're definitely getting an international flavor there, and you can see that it, it is possible um, to do it. And, I mean, fingers crossed you don't have to actually. It doesn't come to that, and they, they have their things, uh, all the ducks in a row come the season opener. Um, on the actual Patriot season itself, apart from um, what's been happening with the, the opt-in and opt-out and such like, and the, the deadline for that is coming up on uh, Thursday, I believe. It's finally been sorted out. The hottest topic of conversation for the Patriots this this offseason is probably, arguably, the battle between the quarterbacks, Cam Newton and Jarrett Siddham. Who do you see coming out on top, in, in your personal opinion, Bob? Well, I think it boils down to a couple of different things that uh, we really don't have any understanding of at this point, uh, or at least a, a, a picture at this point of where Cam Newton, for example, is relative to the player he was early in 2018 because of the injuries the last couple of years. Now, he looks great in the videos that we have seen, the social media online, but he's coming off significant shoulder surgeries and a foot injury and has been very limited, of course, uh, since a 6-2 and two start to the 2018 season. That's part of it. How well will he adapt to the surroundings in New England? What kind of an offense will Josh McDaniels have uh, to build around him? How well will he handle it? There's no preseason action, no preseason games for these players. Right now, as we talk, they're taking their very first steps in training camp, and it's primarily conditioning the first couple of weeks. There's really very little football being played this summer compared to your typical training camp and preseason. So he's got a, a one would have to think, a pretty big learning curve in a short period of time, and coinciding with the questions about his health, trying to re, you know, prove that uh, all those issues uh, are, are resolved. Jared Stidham, 
has here in the system, but he's also a quarterback who's only played a handful of snaps in games that were already decided and certainly does not have the physical gifts that Cam Newton does. Has a better understanding, one presumes, of the Patriots and, and what you know, the, the system typically uh, looks like. But we don't know if it's going to be the same offense they ran last year. I doubt it. I think that there will probably be variations. I think there would have been with or without Cam Newton. I think when they signed Cam Newton, it represented a great opportunity to bring in someone at a very low cost with a, potentially a very, tremend, a, 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 a very big upside, a tremendous value. Former MVP, someone who led his team to a 15-1 record, someone who was 2-0 against the Patriots, someone who went to a the, the typical Patriot quarterback that we would think of in the mold of, of Brady and some of uh, the others that we have seen here from Bledsoe to Jimmy Garoppolo, you know, who are primarily pocket passers, if not exclusively pocket passers. He, he's a different, he's a different kind of quarterback and it's going to be a, a change if he's the guy that's out there this year in a lot of different ways, but I think it could be a refreshing change. I think it could be a, an exciting one, an intriguing one. I don't think the job is going to be handed to him, Matthew. I think that uh, he's going to have to prove uh, that he's healthy, number one, prove that uh, he is uh, the right guy to run that offense for Belichick and McDaniels. They can trust him uh, to to do that right from the start. Could be a situation where maybe he's not the guy in in, in week one, but eventually becomes that guy. I think that, you know, as I said, when they signed him, it was low cost, potentially a great value, low risk, potentially a great reward. And I think when you bring in a guy like that, you do it with the idea that you know, like, if he's going to stick around, he, he will be the quarterback eventually. But on the other hand, like I say, it's not going to be handed to him. He's going to have to prove that he is the quarterback. And I think they have a lot of confidence in Jared Stidham and, and really like him, not only with some of the physical tools, but some of the intangibles that they've been able to observe firsthand around the, the facility uh, since he came in last year as a rookie. And then in Brian Hoyer's case, you know, he's someone that has a great familiarity with the offense. He's been a Patriot now in three different stints. He's very well respected and very popular among his teammates. I think the coaches trust that in an emergency, he can go in there and do what needs to be done to help the Patriots win football games. And certainly he represents a nice layer of insurance along with the other two guys. And in this, again, in this period, we're in an unprecedented time. And as we've seen already, there are players who've tested positive before training camp begins. Now, there may be a possibility where an entire position group is hit hard uh, with positives or at least the need to quarantine. And you may play a game or two without a couple of different players in a respective position. And so, therefore, having a third quarterback and potentially a fourth quarterback, you know, only a phone call away, who's at least close to ready in an emergency, I think that's, that, that's invaluable for, for teams. And that's, I think the Patriots, you know, are in a pretty good situation with Hoyer as that third quarterback, certainly much better than most of the teams around the league. Yeah, I think so. I think um, with him being there, it's certainly a great safety net in comparison to some other teams. I mean, if you look at the Raiders, for example, they brought in Mario uh, this offseason. Um, I mean, not a lot of people rate Mario. Uh, the Titans certainly don't, and that's why they've moved on from him now. He's coming in a new system, just the same as Cam is. So how, many, how much of a a reliable backup is he in that instance um, whereas you know we started this off season with Jarrett who's been a year in the in the system Hoyer who's got many years experience across the league and in the Patriot system knows Bill, Bill, um, Bill Belichick very well 
And, you know, having those three, it's, a, it's definitely an exciting time for, regardless of, you know, who has left the building, it's an exciting time at the quarterback position for the Patriots, I feel. Um, but you t- touched there on the, you know, the aspect of Cam coming in fresh in the system and such like. And the same could be said for this year's rookies um, taking in the, the draft class of 2020. How do you see that transpiring? And, you know, is there anyone that stands out to you from what you might have seen in college that can translate into the league um, almost immediately? Or does do a lot of them actually just end up, you know, effectively sitting out the year and red shirting it because they've just not had the practice on the field because of the circumstances? Yeah, they didn't have a chance to get on the field in the spring. Everything was done virtually. The rookies are just getting to know their veteran teammates and vice versa. They're just getting familiar with the facility itself. There is a lot uh, that they have on their plate right now. And it doesn't even, you know, I'm not even talking about football. I'm just talking about getting to know their way around Foxborough, getting to the facility, Mm -hmm. uh, learning what's expected of them uh, when it comes to all the safety protocols with uh, the policies now in place because of COVID-19. And so you look at, number one, the habits they have to develop as patriots and the discipline that's needed in that respect. A lot of those things would have been done. Those habits would have been created in the spring when the rookies are drafted and they report for rookie minicamp. And then they are here with the veterans during off-season training activities and the mandatory minicamp, which takes place in June. And as you said, none of those things happen this year because of COVID-19. Well, now they're coming in and they have, they have it's, everything is on warp speed and they have to catch up in a hurry. They don't have an opportunity to, to, to have dress rehearsals with preseason games. Now, they have to be ready to go on September 13th without all of those other, you know, steps along the way that every predecessor's had in recent memory as a rookie coming in, trying to make the team and try to have an impact. That being said, we both know that the Patriots have lost a lot, not only in free agency and trades, but in the last week, opt-outs. Yeah. Dante Hightower, a leader of that defense, won't be here. So does rookie Anthony Jennings out of uh, Alabama, someone who basically served Hightower's role in college under Nick Saban. Is he the guy, the Patriots' third pick in this year's draft, who will get a lot more snaps uh, than uh, he otherwise would have because, uh, because of Hightower's absence. I think Juwan Bentley, as a third-year Patriot, is someone who figures to have a much increased role in that regard as well. I think Josh Uche, the other linebacker that the Patriots drafted their second, their, their second pick out of Michigan, is someone who I think bears watching. Uh, he's someone that uh, has some skills and athleticism that – are very relatable to Kyle Van Noy, a player that they lost in free agency. Mm-hmm. I think the rookie safety, their top pick in the second round, Kyle Duggar, is intriguing because Patrick Chung is gone, and Duggar is a big physical, uh, really an athletic freak at that position, but he also played at a much lower level of college football. He played at Division II college football against smaller school competition than a lot of his draft classmates. And so he's going to have – a bigger jump to make coming out of college to the NFL. But physically, athletically, he's a specimen that, uh, you know, certainly has all the gifts to do just that. I just don't know if there's time that will allow for it. But I do think that they have some other veteran pieces that are in place that are going to help them in different ways. 
it doesn't necessarily mean that Bill Belichick is going to find player A to replace player A, Day Hightower, or player B to replace Patrick Chung. You know, you have veterans like Adrian Phillips, safety special teamer from the Los Angeles Chargers, who's here now. Uh, you have players like Brandon Copeland, a linebacker, who's a good pass rusher for the Jets a couple of years ago, coming in. And, you know, maybe those guys pick up some of uh, the snaps that went to Van Noy and Hightower in the past, or Jamie Collins in the past, but not all of them. Maybe those snaps are kind of distributed uh, to, to a number of different guys to try to offset those losses. Mm, I think, um, I'm not sure how much it's been reported, but I'm very excited to see how um, Chase Winovich and Josh Uche yeah. comes on this year because they were obviously former Michigan teammates. And I think that might be a sort of missing puzzle piece, if you will, um, that Chase is there and he can, you know, buddy up with Josh effectively and bring him up, up to speed quicker than if he was, you know, someone else from a different college um, sort of thing. I think that's something to to be excited about and see how that relationship develops for, for sure. And, um, sorry, carry on, Bob. <laughs> You know, I, I was just going to say, Matthew, too, I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention, mention Blaisdell. They, they lost even Gostkowski last year and then released. And they, they didn't bring back Nick Folk. And they drafted a rookie place kicker out of Marshall. And if anybody's going to be on the smart, spot this year for them, it's Jordan Werwasser. Gostkowski was their all-time leading scorer. And let's face it, outside of a couple of injuries here and there, they've had Adam Vinatieri and Steven Gostkowski, two of the great kickers of all time, let alone their time, who have had that very important position from 1996 to this point. You know, they have a rookie right now who's going to try to prove that he's the next guy uh, in that line. Yeah, I think you're right. And um, listeners won't see um, this, but you'll be able to see it, Bob. And just in the background above my finger there, that is a picture of Mr. Goskowski. (laughs) (laughs) thought over your shoulder early when we started and uh, I thought that was yeah that's uh, that's Stephen himself and then with the actual season the Bills are being tipped as the number one in the the east is it purely because the Tom's off to pastures new in South Florida or is it they've actually got a legit chance of coming out on top of this division this year and people will rejoice because it's not the Patriots for once. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think it's a combination of the two. I certainly think that when Brady left the Patriots, automatically a lot of people said, all right, that's it. Brady's gone. The Patriots, you know, they're no longer the team to beat uh, in the AFC East. Now, I think the Bills have earned a lot of the respect they've been given. They've gone to the playoffs two of the last three years, and we both know Buffalo gave the Patriots everything the Pats could handle the last three seasons under Sean McDermott as the head coach of the Bills. And they've gotten better every year. And they, re- they really return just about everybody. They've added Stefan Diggs, an outstanding wide receiver on offense. They did lose star Latulale as we record this, very good defensive lineman who's decided to sit out this season because of concerns related to COVID-19. But to me, for the Bills, it boils down to how well Josh Allen plays and how consistent their quarterback play is this season he has a lot of physical gifts but 
He's been very erratic and in big moments has come up smaller than the Bills need him to be. And this coming season, they're certainly, I think, the team to beat, as, as you referenced, in the eyes of most around the league. And they are so because of what they've done the last couple of years, the number of returning players they have, particularly with a very good defense, but also the number of players who are not returning for the Patriots. The Pats have lost about 50% of their snaps mm-hmm. played from a year. Not just Brady. It's Hightower. It's Chung. It's Deron Harmon and Kyle Van Noy playing elsewhere. Uh, you know, you look at the offense. Gronkowski, of course, wasn't here last year, but uh, people wonder, you know, what are they going to get out of the tight end position? They didn't get much out of it last year, and now they have two rookies that they're going to be relying upon and questions about the wide receivers and you know, questions about uh, the offensive line, uh, particularly now with Marcus Cannon not playing as the right tackle. So the Pats have a lot of deficiencies. They have a lot of questions to answer, but they also have the best coach in, in football, and I think they still have enough veteran pieces uh, with some young players that hold promise uh, that it's going to be an interesting it's going to be an interesting race in my opinion. But I'm I'm biased. I, I see that with my heart. <laughs> yeah, I think I think we both are <laughs> in that in this instance um, for sure. And with that that all being said, how far realistically can you see this team going this year? Well, I think that it's you know again, and I, I don't want to say that the Patriots can't get to the Super Bowl. We'll never say that particularly with Balchuk as the head coach. When you look at the teams on paper, particularly with the strength of schedule, they have the number one schedule compared to the rest of the league based on last year's results, the playoff teams they play. They play the two best divisions in football from a year ago, the AFC West, the NFC West. So that means matchups with Seattle and San Francisco, of course, from the NFC West and Kansas City. Uh, and the Chargers, I think a lot of people are high on in the AFC West. But – that being said, I think in this particular period of time, it really boils down to who can keep most of its team on the field. Now, the Chiefs have a lot of continuity. They have the defending champions almost back intact. They've got you know, the coaching staff back intact. Uh, so they are the odds-on favorite, I think, along with the Ravens in the AFC. But I think Kansas City certainly is the team to beat not only based on what they did last year, but based on what they're bringing back. This season, the Ravens are right behind them in the conference. But again, you know, you look at all the variables at play here. Uh, what, mm-hmm. what, 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 what team, you know, avoids a situation like the, the Miami Marlins or the uh, St. Louis Cardinals, two Major League Baseball teams who've been hit with a wave of positives uh, and have had – you know, players ruled out and it does had to have games postponed, not playing uh, in, in, in recent days. And I think that, you know, you look at uh, injuries, it's a situation where, as we've talked about, it's a very condensed training camp and they're spending a lot more time conditioning these next couple of weeks than they're accustomed to not playing a lot of football. That's probably going to mean that some guys are going to come up with some, some quote-unquote minor injuries that linger throughout the year. So you're going to have attrition and you're going to have guys that aren't going to be playing to the level they're accustomed to. You're going to have teams with a coaching change. You're going to have more opt-outs between now and I think Thursday when the deadline is for players to decide whether or not they're in for this season because of COVID-19. So uh, there's so much that's unknown. It's a real mystery to me. I think the Patriots can be a playoff team. I, w- I still think the Patriots are the team to beat in the AFC East, but Again, I'm saying that with my heart, 
probably more than, than my head at this point based on what they've lost, particularly the last week or so. Uh, but, you know, for them to make a deep run in the playoffs, it's, it's going to take a lot of pieces realistically to fall into place. Then again, if, if Cam Newton resembles the player that we've seen play against the Patriots as recently as 2017 and start 6-2 and two with the Panthers in 2018, well, I think that's going to make – those other players on offense that much better. The teams that are, are going to see a different Patriot type of offense than they're accustomed to. And I think that, you know, they have defensive pieces that certainly are uh, capable of making the defense good enough. It's not going to be elite probably to the standard of last year, but I still think that they could be good enough to, to stage a, a, a run in the playoffs. I mean, who thought the Tennessee Titans last year would have Ryan Tannehill and advance to the AFC championship game. Mm. I, I can't imagine. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we saw Tannehill in preseason joint practices, and he looked good compared to Mariota. But if you and I were to sit here last year and before training camp really got into full swing, and we said, hey, you know what, the Titans with Ryan Tannehill as their quarterback going to the AFC championship, you know, people would, uh, you know, would immediately unplug their computers and throw them out the window saying, you know, <laughs> 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 I think it would be crazy talk, so. Anyway, yeah, I think so. It's a lot of people. I've got a friend who's a, a Dolphins fan, and he says that Gase was the issue with Tannehill. He's not actually a bad quarterback. He just coached badly and then put in bad situations. So maybe there is some truth because we saw a different specimen come out of uh, on the field for the Titans for sure. Um, yeah, you get the running game too going, Matthew. You know the Patriots get the running game. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think we're I think we're all expecting a lot of James White this year. I think there's going to be a lot riding on his shoulders, especially. Um, I don't think it's hopefully not too much of a concern with Michelle starting on the pop list. Um, you know, Damian Harris, what can he bring to the table this year? But certainly, you've obviously got well, Brandon Bolden's now opted out, but you've still got um, Rex Burkhead there, so they've still got pieces. But I think with the, the skill set that James White brings of the unpredictability of if he's on the field, are you running? Is it going to be an RPO of some description? Um, he brings a lot to the table that can hopefully, you know, take some of the weight off Cam or, Jed or Jarrett or, you know, the receivers in general. And obviously Edelman will be receiver number one with Harry close beside him. I think, I think that's my one, two for the year. And, We'll see how Sanu comes out of um, the preseason as well. Obviously, he's got on the the list for the time being. And as you say, there's all these variables of with COVID nineteen um, coming into play this year. There, as you said, there could be whole swathes of linemen or you know receivers or whoever it could be that is completely uh, just wiped out by this for a couple of weeks. And whether the NFL then I think, as far as I'm aware, they've built in a few extra weeks that they could push the Super Bowl to the end of February. Um, that's more and more and more likely coming into play if we do get a season um, coming out of this. And but just before we finish, Bob, I just want to finish up with some of your your memories. As you said at the top, you've done eight seasons so far, but you've got many memories from watching the Patriots over the years before you took over from the the great Gil Santos as well. And so I, I'll just 
leave it up to you. Well, what do you think? You know, you've been with Scott for three Super Bowl wins. Is it the obvious plays um, against Seattle, the comeback against Atlanta? Um, or is there some hidden gems in there that, you know, listeners might not actually think and go, oh, wow, actually that was, he's totally right with that one. Yeah, you know, I'm glad he asked, asked it that way because there are the obvious uh, highlights, which are primarily the Super Bowls and other postseason games. The 2014 ASC Division, cha- uh, Division playoff game between the Patriots and the Ravens when the Pats were down 14 points twice and rallied to win. It was the game that featured the various formations, ineligible, eligible receivers with Shane Vereen and you know, so much controversy thereafter. Julian Edelman throwing the touchdown pass to Danny Amendola. The AFC Championship game from 2019 in overtime in Kansas City. That's probably my favorite game that I have called. Uh, but along with the Super Bowls and, and the most memorable plays from those particular games, you know, I think back to my very first game. I come back in the fourth quarter, the Patriots beating the Bills after trailing in the fourth quarter by double digits. And Danny Amendola and Shane Vereen played a terrific game in that opener. And really for Amendola, it wound up costing him the season. He, he injured himself. He injured his groin in that game and really did not have a good year for the Patriots as Wes Welker's uh, presumed replacement uh, successor. Uh, but, uh, you know, he was tremendous in that particular game, and that was my very first game to call in the regular season as the Patriots broadcaster, and Stephen Gostkowski won it on a late field goal with about five seconds to go. Uh, that certainly was one. A win over the Giants on another Gostkowski field goal from 2015 when the Patriots rallied and they had to convert it on fourth down to set up a win. That was a game that you know, saw uh, a touchdown by Odell Beckham Jr., uh, be overturned because of a great play by Malcolm Butler. He punched the ball out in the end zone and the pass was ruled incomplete and the Giants had to settle for a field goal and Landon Collins, the Giants safety at the time, dropped a would-be game ceiling interception. And the Patriots eventually come back and they convert on fourth down uh, with a pass to Amendola that sets up Gostkowski's, I think, a 54-yard field goal to win it at the buzzer in the Meadowlands. It was a tremendous game to call, one of the, one of the, one of the favorites that I've had. And, you know, sometimes, Matthew, it's, it, it, it's games that don't even register for people in October or early November uh, where, you know, you, you know, because of the circumstances, it wasn't an easy game to broadcast, but personally, it's very gratifying. I, I, I will say this. I love calling all the games. I love the preseason games. I love mm-hmm. the postseason game and all the games in between. Uh, you know, I've done it for seven seasons to this point, getting ready for my eighth. I want to never take it for granted. I, I don't think that I have to this point. And certainly in these times, I will not do that this year. Um, so I, I, I look at every game as a tremendous opportunity. And, uh, you know, I, 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 as soon as one game ends, I look forward to the next game uh, very much. And I'm as excited about that next game as the last for sure. Well, I'm glad you mentioned preseason because it's something I really enjoy, whether it's just because it's football or not, I'm not sure. But I know it's derisory in a lot of quarters to say that you like the preseason games. A lot of people say they're just boring, what have you about. So I'm glad that I've got some backup from um, a guy like yourself that preseason matters as much as the, the regular or the postseason as well. Um, but I just want to say thank you very much again for your time. Um, this evening, this afternoon for yourself. Um, and yeah, the, the Gridiron and Beyond is a great podcast. You, you get some great guests on there. And I, I, 
I look forward to listening to it um, whenever the new episode drops. And I encourage a lot of oh, every listener to go and do the same and check out Bob's podcast. But just before you go, Bob, I'll, I'll give you the floor to plug Twitter, the podcast, uh, your blog, your website, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, the floor is yours, my friend. Hey, Matthew, I really appreciate that. And yes, uh, the the podcast that I host for our station 985, the Sports Hub, is the Gridiron and Beyond. And it's available on 985thesportshub.com, 985thesportshub.com, as well as Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Uh, last week, I talked to uh, Jim McBride from the Boston Globe to kind of preview training camp. Chris Gasper from uh, the Globe and Channel 5 here in Boston is my guest this week. We also have national writers and broadcasters, some former players, and uh, you know, during the season, try to get some regular, some current players on there as well. Uh, my work is also available in written form on the, the 985thesportshub.com website. You can find me on Twitter at Bob Sosi, and that's B-O-B-S-O-C-C-I. And you can find uh, some of my personal uh, writings on bobsosi.com, where I occasionally uh, offer some musings as a father and husband, as well as a sports broadcaster. So I appreciate the opportunity to be with you and, and, and to talk to you in this podcast. It was really a, an enjoyable experience. Oh, it's been enjoyable for me as well. And thanks again. And if you want to give your, your colleague a tap on the shoulder, we'd be more than welcome to have Scott on here sometime as well. <laughs> well, I don't know if you have ever heard my colleague try to do uh, an, an impression uh, of an Englishman. Uh, or, you know, you trying to do his uh, Scott Zolak. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to offend anyone, whether uh, <laughs> it's a Scottish accent, accent, I don't know what it is, uh, but <laughs> maybe it's a hybrid of all of the above, uh, you know, good part French, I don't know. But he's, you know, Zoe is quite a personality for those who aren't familiar. And he co-hosts a radio show on our station every day for four hours. And they, you know, by the third hour, he's pretty bored. So he will, periodically try to do uh, these these voice impressions or impersonations and uh, you know he needs to know better uh, but I guess it's all, it's all part of the charm it's why people here love <laughs> yeah I think so I've not actually um, had a chance to check out him and uh, Mark's show because of the the time difference and such like but I, I do mean to catch up on it soon for sure but no them again thanks very much Bob and hopefully we'll catch up soon maybe later on the season all right, Matthew. Hey, I would love to do it again. Let's, let's see how it goes this season. I'd love to talk to you again. Take care. Stay safe. And that was the wonderful Bob Sosi. This episode has gone out a bit later than planned. Well, the interview has gone out a bit later than planned. Um, wanted to get it out a couple of weeks ago, but at the same time, we did want to get as many people as possible um, listening to this to up our Twitter following and such like before... We let you guys hear it because he's a great person, great man, um, and yeah, so as much people as possible we wanted to hear that interview. And speaking of Twitter, you can follow us at Pat's Chat UK. You can follow myself at Matt Inkster. You can also follow Jake at Jake Paul Design. That is the three Twitter accounts to follow and get updates and such like and hear our our usual uh, ramblings and such like on Patriots chat. Um, but on my personal account, you will probably also get some um, soccer and WWE things as well, as well as the NFL and Patriots. 
And speaking of NFL, we have had a couple of episodes now of Hard Knocks. Um, hit us up at PatsChatUK, let us know what you've been thinking of it. What I've thought is it's it's been decent, um, a bit strange back and forth between the two um, teams and there's not been the same stories coming out of the first couple of episodes in series gone by they've really focused in on one or two of the undrafted guys or you know the the guys picked up in the later rounds which they've tried to do but splitting it between the two teams I don't feel you're getting the same amount of um I don't feel you're getting the same amount of coverage of those people to get invested in them as much and willing them onto the team the same. I guess COVID has kind of put a stop to that a little bit. Um, COVID has put a stop to that a little bit, but, you know, and that's down to the, the directors and the producers feeding us or not feeding us the information and giving us a storyline to follow with the, the players. So... It could be improved a little bit this year, but how much they've been hampered by COVID, I'm not entirely sure, but it seems like uh, it has been a fair bit. The other news to come out of, or the other thing that I've noticed with Hard Knocks is Aaron Donald. I thought the the lineman and um, quarterback getter that he is, I, I, I don't know, I just had it in my head that he wasn't as ripped and huge as he actually is, but he comes across as someone that could easily handle himself in the aforementioned WWE that I I like to, to watch as well. And if you are a follower, WWE's body type is quite like Big E, um, that sort of thing. It's just, yeah, he's just huge. But yeah, that's, that's hard knocks. Still not had a chance to watch Last Chance U. I need to get on that. Um, train and watch it before uh, I hear all the stories about what's happened in it but certainly I've been keeping up with Hard Knocks as soon as the episode's released on a, a Thursday night I believe it is either when I go to bed or I'll watch it before I go to bed depending on the wife lets me watch it or not um, but yeah so that was Hard Knocks and training camp going well it seems that Cam Newton is coming out on top as the QB1 like I thought he would however you know I don't like the narrative that he it's not been a competition I think it has been a competition maybe the hampering of Stidham's leg injury is making it less of a competition but certainly this wasn't Newton's job given to him as soon as he walked in the building definitely not I think there's been a huge battle there in the off season it's come into training camp and it's just unfortunate for Jarrett that this injury seems to be hampering him a bit but if he didn't have that injury by all means I think it would be would still be at this stage now going into the second week of camp which the, the media have been allowed in third week of camp if you will that we still wouldn't know who the quarterback is, but it looks like now the reps are ramping up and the reps are going to the number one himself, Cam Newton. So, yeah, that's that one. Um, I think we'll try and get Jake on to check his work schedule and we'll we'll get into that a bit more later in the week, I think. So I don't want to touch on much more because, yeah, I want you all to hear Jake's thoughts too. So I think I've said enough. 
on this episode of Patch Chat with Jake and Matt. Remember, at Patch Chat UK, at Matt Inkster, and at Jake Paul Design. That's our, our Twitter accounts. Look out in the future for Instagram and YouTube, etc. We, we are talking about it, but it's not quite there yet. So go through the Twitter first and we'll take it from there. So until next time, folks, the next episode will be out soon enough. As I say, irregular scheduling at the moment, so bear with us until the season starts and we get into a bit of an ebb and flow with this. But until then, until next episode, see ya.